Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, this is Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. It's a podcast about workplace culture, psychology and life. Thank you so much for listening today. I had a lovely email that I'm trying to find here. I had a lovely email from someone in the week saying that his professor on his university course had suggested that everyone on the course now listen to the podcast which I thought was wonderful. I've made it to the curriculum. I've, I've officially gone from the things that they don't teach you at Harvard Business School to the things they do teach you at Harvard Business School, with the only caveat that this was Liverpool University, which in many ways is actually better. So today's episode is a discussion with someone who I find absolutely fascinating. I came across... Caleb Parker through his podcast and his podcast is a brilliant showcase of the themes and discussions in the commercial real estate market. Commercial real estate has gone through this sort of really extraordinary reckoning over the last two years that hasn't fully yet been realised but you'll have noticed that over the course of the last couple of years I've had Anthony Slumbers on I featured a discussion with Richard Pickering from Cushman Wakefield and I just love hearing what they're saying in the sector responsible for giving us offices, what, the, what they're saying about this. Now, Caleb Parker is remarkably well-placed to enhance that discussion because not only is he the founder of a workplace offering that we talk about called Bold, which is specifically targeted at entrepreneurs and, and people who are building out entrepreneurial businesses, but he also runs the podcast that I regularly listen to called the Work Bold Podcast. And he talks to the leading experts and thinkers in commercial real estate. So I think I found his podcast originally via Anthony Slumbers, who was our former guest. And because it dropped so beautifully into my podcast feeds, just in time for my Sunday run, it became a big part of my pandemic routine. Anyway, I... Firstly, I couldn't be a bigger fan of Caleb and his discussion. But secondly, the second half of this podcast where I asked Caleb to give us the stump pitch for the office. Well, firstly, his answer is truly stunning. And secondly, he 
I think he has a really interesting perspective. He says at one point, bad culture is a bigger threat to the office than the pandemic, which I think pretty much is a summary of what the whole of this podcast is meant to be about. But he also shares a truly brilliant perspective of who he considers one of his most impressive guests on his own podcast, on the Workbog podcast. He, He talked about one of his guests who really gave us a perspective of what they think the office is going to look like. The first half of the episode is fascinating. The second half of the episode is stunning. And, you know, I just feel really thrilled to host such a great discussion. I've given links to all his stuff because I think you're going to love the Workbolt podcast, but also following Caleb on social media is also worthwhile. But I've also given a link to the the episode that he talks about, and you'll see that in the show notes, the episode uh, with Michelle Schneider from Salesforce. So look, brilliant discussion, truly inspirational. This is my conversation with Caleb Parker from Bold, the host of the Work Bold podcast. Fantastic. And thank you for joining me, Caleb. I wonder if you could kick us off by introducing who you are and what you do. Uh, absolutely. My pleasure. Uh, first off, Bruce, thank you for having me on. I've been a big fan of your podcast for, for some time. And obviously, we've been going back and forth on these future mm. of work uh, concepts. But uh, my name is Caleb Parker. I'm the founder of Bold. Uh, and we believe entrepreneurs and innovators make the world a better place. So our mission is to champion and support entrepreneurial people who are making a positive impact on the world. What we do is we create... What does that mean? What, what, go on. So, so explain some more, because that sounds like it's an august goal, but you actually have a specific business that you bring to that, don't you? Yeah, you know, I think uh, at, at a high level, sometimes people think, oh, well, these guys are like WeWork. And certainly there's some features that exist that are similar to WeWork, but, um, you know, we believe, I believe that it's important I'm a big, I'm a big believer that people, everybody should align their work with their passion. Um, and if you do that, you don't feel like you're working. Um, so right. I, for the last 20 years have been an entrepreneur and I love, I love supporting entrepreneurs. I believe they're the ones who make the world a better place. If you look back at all the conveniences we have today, all the technology we have today, it's because somebody stood up and said, this can be better. That's who I believe make the world a better place. And that's yes. why that's our mission. So what we do is we create communities where innovators and entrepreneurs can gain superpowers to thrive. And I thought that sounds crazy, but what we do is we give them access to capital for scaling. Uh, we give them access to events, to network and challenges of thinking. We give them flexible space to dream, to create, to share and succeed. Hang on. So it's all, it's all sounding a bit, bit like the brochure. Specifically then, <laughs> you, so you're a space for people to come together. But firstly, I'll, I'll sort of give instruction. The reason yeah. why I found you is that I love your podcast. Your Work Bold podcast became part of my Sunday morning COVID run. I think my mandated daily run, it always seemed to drop on a Sunday and my podcast feed was always empty on Sunday. It actually became a really big part of my run. But you've got, but this is what I'm intrigued by. You've got this business that you're part of. You've, you've run this as well. So go, go on. So if someone is in the market to buy some space or rent some space, Bold is one solution. Yeah, well, I think if somebody's looking for space, there's lots of options out there for that. And if you're just looking for space, we're probably not the right company to talk to. Space is a feature of what we do. What we do is, is we help entrepreneurs and innovators. And I'm, to, to not sound fluffy, practically, what does that mean? Well, if you look back over the last um, you know, 10, 20 years, technology has enabled us to work from anywhere. 
Um, the last two years, the pandemic has forced us not to work in an office. Um, and coming out of the pandemic, all the folks who were leaning into that technology in the last decade are joined by almost everybody in the knowledge workforce in that we don't have to be in an office anymore to do our work. The office itself isn't doesn't have that monopoly on the work. So for me, for the last uh, mm. decade or so, I've, I've been working from home most of the time and going into an office or where, when I need to. Uh, I've always felt like, well, why isn't everybody doing that? And so it's important when I say superpowers, uh, space is a feature to be able to tap into when you need to. You need that environment to meet with people and to do those human things that you might miss when you're sitting at home. That's one aspect of, of what we provide. But I'm a strong believer that because we can do work from anywhere, as an entrepreneur, as an innovator, and we do need to collaborate with other people, there's certain things we need. In order to grow our business, we need capital. In order to grow our business, uh, we need to be around other innovators. We need to meet them sometimes. We want to hang out with them and be around like-minded people. So we need a community that's going to stretch our thinking. We curate community of innovators. We provide them with environments where they can feel like they belong. We curate community and connect them with people, uh, including investors and, and members of the capital community. Interesting. So you're in Manchester today. I'm speaking to you in like your soon to open Manchester office. Is that right? Can we, is, or is it now open? It, it, we, the, the press has gone out. Uh, we are doing our soft launch next week. So officially we'll be open in March. In fact, we even heard someone drilling before. So there's, there's work <laughs> going on as we speak to sort of get this ready. Um, and what sort of businesses then would come to a space like your space in, in Manchester? It, is it would it be different to the profile of of maybe people who'd go elsewhere, or is it broadly you know a mix of different sectors? What is it? Well, because we are focused on uh, a specific persona, uh, that person who is thinking about how to improve the world, they're thinking creatively. Uh, we create the environments in a way that appeal to those folks, and and even in our brand and our communications around the brand itself. Um, we appeal to a certain person. We welcome anyone, of course, but uh, I think people will self-select and that those people tend to be um, in media or in technology. But as you know, every sector has innovation going on because technology is eating the world. So it can exist across sectors. I like to say we're not sector specific, but we are mindset specific. Okay, that's interesting. And, and look, the, the reason why I got onto all of your stuff was that you're really a leader for me, a thought leader in the space as a service sector. And, you know, just thinking about how our relationship with our offices and property is changing. And that for me is so intriguing. You know, I come at this probably from the workplace, either managers or, you know, th then I've got a, like an interest in psychology or workplace psychology. I'm interested in all of those things. And, I guess the really fascinating thing about this change that we're going through right now is that the same issues are being dealt with on the office supply side, on, on, on your sector. And I'm so interested in the adjacencies and the discrepancies. The adjacencies of like, this is what everyone's agreed on. And the discrepancies on, in that, okay, well, here are the things that the suppliers of, of offices, the suppliers of space as a service are thinking about that maybe some of the customers aren't necessarily considering about. And it's really interesting sort of to, to see those differences. As you're looking at the space, what do you think the, the big things that you're 
firstly, hearing from customers and what are the things that maybe you're not yet hearing from customers, but you anticipate coming down the road? First of all, I think if you ask 100 people, you're going to get 100 different answers on this question. And because of that, the way property has, has been executed historically, where a company rents a big white box from some landlord, some owner of the property, and then they turn that big white box into a big branded box that everybody has to fit into. That doesn't work anymore because, you know, for the last two years, we've all been able to create the environments that worked for us in our homes. Some people it didn't work for. I think going forward, property has to become more dynamic and it has to cater to people, to everyone's needs. And that's difficult. I think property going forward has to decide who their customer is. And the customer used to be the investor, but property needs to become more operational and become focused on the end user as being the customer. And because the end user, if you ask 100 people, you get 100 different answers. We need more dynamic property. So that means within a building, there needs to be a variety of different work styles, settings, um, inspirational whatever it might be, uh, to appeal to different people. It needs to be flexible to change and evolve with the people in the community that comes into that building. But also buildings might need to be specific about who they're targeting, because if you're targeting someone in gas and oil, they're going to want something different than somebody who who's in tech and media. It's so interesting for me. Was, was the commercial property sector, was it ready for these changes or has it been like a great acceleration even for the sector? Because definitely people at Anthony Slumbers have been talking about space as a service before all of this and no doubt you were already having these discussions. So it it seemed like this was a use case that was already starting to form and we've just gone into this massive disruption, this huge acceleration. First, I want to address space as a service because we're talking about the commercial real estate industry and the property industry. Space as a service itself is a very small niche part of commercial real estate. Space as a service in most major markets like London or New York may be creeping up on 10% of the overall commercial real estate market. But space as a service itself, I have a a friend, Mark Schmuckler, who's the founder of a flexible access app called Flow. He has an amazing definition that he published last year, and, and I'm I'm just going to quote him for a second on this because I think it just hits the nail on the head. Space as a service is, is space that is procured on demand. Instead of buying or renting that space, you can pay for it only when you want to use it. It provides the flexibility of living or working out of a shared space without the headaches of ownership or long-term leasing. Right. And I just love how simple he puts it because if you think about the way we work in the rest of our lives, the way we the way we live, just like everywhere mm-hmm. else that the whole sharing economy is changing the way we live and now it's applying to real estate. You know, if we share our cabs through Ubers, our holiday destinations through Airbnb, we stream our movies on demand, you know, through Netflix or music on Spotify, why can't we do that with space? And I think that part represents space as a service. You get that flexibility, tap into it on demand and have service. Right. Got it. And and the thing that's really interesting, I've been inside two different businesses this week, actually sort of real life going into businesses. And what really struck me was that even though we've been having these discussions for the last couple of years, everyone's kind of been preparing for this change. Actually, a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about, they are still right in the midst of. I was I was with one organization yesterday and they were like, you know, we the, there's no specific days that anyone's coming in. So some people are coming in on these different days. And uh, as a consequence, they're, they're gaining no real network effect. They're not really sort of seeing each other in any coordinated way. And as a result, people are 
only slowly coming to the realization that maybe some of us have been thinking about for a year that, okay, we need to be, number one, a bit more intentional about this. Secondly, event spaces are going to be way more important than maybe they've ever been before. Meeting spaces, event spaces are going to have more importance. So do you see that profile, that demand changing across the whole sector that, you know, maybe meeting spaces, the the, the allocation, the, the utilization of space might be shifted more towards meetings and events? than maybe desks previously? First, I'll say I don't have all the answers. I think over the next couple of years, you know, there's going to be a lot of testing going on. We're doing our own testing. We're paying attention to what everyone else is doing, of course. What I, th- I think is we won't see a return to the past full stop. Right now, there's a, there's a growing gap between supply and demand in the office sector. The office, as I said earlier, no longer has this monopoly on work. And, you know, since many of us don't have to be in that office building five days a week to generate stellar results. We've basically proven that the last two years. We're seeing this debate right now in the media play out is pitting work from home against working from the office. And I think that's just, you know, a lot of self-serving going on that creates this false dichotomy because in my opinion, like why not both? What And in between, I think office customers want better ways to scale and manage growth. Um, and fortunately, there's some very forward-thinking leaders in, in, in the property sector that are aligning their investments to provide what customers want. Yeah. So, so you, you mentioned that the, the industry used to view the customers as the, the property owners, the people who own the real estate. Has that forced a huge mindset change in the industry? And, and I, 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 was, I was with one organization recently, and they said to me, look, you know, actually the the people who own real estate are often very, very traditional and they're long-term investors. And so short-term trends, almost by nature, are the things they've tried to avoid. You know, they, they, they obviously want to spot which direction things are moving in, but they don't want to react to things that they see as short-term. I wonder how accurate that is or what your perspective on the way that the industry thinks. I'd argue that most of the industry is is not pouncing on what's not going to be a trend. It's an inflection point that we've had. It's major paradigm shift. And I think the majority of the commercial real estate industry wants to go back to what we had pre-pandemic. It was safe. It was low risk. It was long-term stability. And there's a big reason for that. Traditionally, commercial real estate, as I said, was built to make investors money. And for years, that business model has been to, you develop a property, you get it pre-leased for decades to stable companies, Microsoft, Facebook, then you sell it off to a pension fund. And then that pension fund has a low risk investment, stable, of course. The problem with that is business moves much faster today. It's more dynamic. The stable companies of yesterday are being disrupted and technology has enabled the fastest growth in the history of mankind. And so I think it's a big problem right now because that growing gap in supply and demand, commercial real estate is not moving fast enough. It needs to become more dynamic. It's got to become more turnkey. The problem with that is it, that increases risk. I see problems as opportunities. So I see the increase in risk also could increase the return. So I think there's a big issue around valuing properties. And once that problem gets solved around how do we value this, going back to that flexibility, then we can give customers what they want at scale. I, th- I think I've heard you talk on the podcast about that value challenge. Specifically, give me the the nuance of why that valuation question is so important to the sector. If I've got Microsoft signed up to my building for 20 years paying £100 a square foot or $100 a square foot, I've got guaranteed income. So the value, the value is perceived to be high. 
if I develop a property pre-leased it to Microsoft on those terms, then I can sell it at top dollar and get a big return on my investment. And the valuation around that makes sense to everyone. But when you remove the guaranteed income, because you have people coming in on flexible terms, and the income is up and down, and you don't have a, a property that's stabilized, it appears to the valuers that it's never stabilized, when in fact, it would be stabilized, it's not guaranteed. You can look back at a property that's been operating for five years, just like you look at a hotel and you see the hotel has an average rate of this. Here's your peak periods. Here's the revenue on a quarter by quarter basis. Here's the profits. It's a stable investment, but it is a different risk profile than an office because it's not guaranteed. Got it. And so that's obviously a big consideration in the sector because it would appear that shifting towards something more flexible that is more focused on what the customer needs based on the traditional ways of valuing the business, it's lower valuation. Is that right? Well, it appears that it's lower valuation, number one, but right now it's not that, that the, the footprint of the flexible space in an asset is not even, in some cases, being considered. The revenue from that footprint is not being considered. Okay. That's a big problem. But I understand why, because you've got to imagine that a lot of pension money is, is in this. So if you've got a liability that you've got to pay out for years to come to retirees, you need to make sure you've got guaranteed revenue coming in to pay that out. I think we're going to see a investor profile shift or some pension funds allocate a small portion of this flexible because you get a higher yield, even though it is a higher risk. Do you find that you've become the champion for offices? Because, you know, it's really interesting. Over the course of the last two years, there's been no shortage of people who've said, okay, well, it's proved that we can work remotely. And, you know, it's really interesting. By extrapolation, you could find yourself saying, okay, if you're trying to spot strategic opportunity here, if you're going to spot strategic opportunity for you know, every firm is in a competitive environment where they're trying to, maybe competition isn't their obsession. They just want to do their job with their current customers well, but they're, they're, they've got other people doing the same as them. And so a lot of firms are trying to work out what's our edge, what's the, the edge that we can either shave a little bit of margin or what's the edge that we can offer a better service to customers. And so by extrapolation, there's there's some firms and we've seen them, the big celebrated firms who are remote only or remote first. And so we've seen those people out there championing the different strategy. On the flip side, we've also seen the Goldman Sachs saying remote working is an aberration. It's almost in contrast to each other. We've got something that seems maverick and, and fresh, which is the remote working enthusiasts. And then something slow moving and unyielding and traditional, which seems like the office enthusiasts. But there seems to be something in the middle, which is actually saying there is something special about what an office can accomplish, but we don't need to go there every day. And, and it strikes me that, you know, probably people like yourselves are having to be the cheerleader for that, that moderated middle ground. Would you see that, that as, as a, do you feel like you've had to make the case for the office or actually has the case made itself? I think some of my colleagues and, and friends in the commercial real estate think I've been the opposite of the champion of the office. <laughs> um, you know, which is which is a bit contradictory since office space is a big feature of what we do. No, I, I think it starts with culture. And I think what the last couple of years has done is it's pulled the covers off a of bad culture. I posted on LinkedIn uh, and said this on my podcast as well, that bad culture in a company is a bigger threat to the office than the pandemic because the pandemic is going to go away. But everybody's used to not being around toxicity. They don't want to go back to it. So I think we in commercial real estate, if we're going to 
champion offices, we need to be champion good company cultures. And so I'm personally not a big fan of direct mandating anything. You see the Goldman Sachs mandating. I don't, I don't want to mandate anything. I prefer leadership styles that motivate and you know, aim for consensus. But if we are going to mandate something, I wonder if it would be more productive to mandate outcomes and then empower our teams with the tools to achieve those outcomes and the office being one of those tools but not the only tool. What team specific outcomes? It's, this is the holy grail, isn't it? It's sort of, you know, it's so difficult. I, every person I've been chatting to recently, I say like, how do you measure output, productivity, outcomes? And, you know, they often give me like a look of panic thinking, you know, not someone asking this again. So it's, it's just so interesting how, actually how for a long time we've, we've not really been as accountable as we probably should. And it's just interesting that this is a constant hot potato. How do you measure whether a team's doing a good job or not? Well, I think that's going to be a question for every single leader of a team. And it's going to ask a hundred people, get a hundred different answers. But I think going back to culture, you have to start with why you're in business in the first place. You know, we're not in business to make money, money and profit is a result of why we're in business. We're in business to solve a certain problem for a certain customer. And hopefully there's a big addressable market and a lot of customers out there to, to help drive that profit. But it's all about why. It, you know, I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek. I had Steven Shiletsky on the podcast talking about this whole putting values at the center of everything, not profit. And then we, if we put values, then it's easier to understand what our outcomes are. Tell me this. Um, you mentioned right at the outset the importance in your offering of community. So is that community inside an organization or is that putting you next to like-minded other businesses who might have shared benefits? How would you think about curating something like community? So I think, first of all, and I'm, if I talk about my, you know, myself for a second, we built the bold brand around entrepreneurs and innovators. I've been an entrepreneur for the last 20 years. I wanted to surround myself with people who thought like me, who they saw a problem in the world and they said, why is it being done this way? There's got to be a better way to do this. Let's challenge the status quo. One of our favorite mottos is challenge the status quo. I built a brand around speaking to those people and creating a community where we will be around each other and have everything we needed to succeed. When I think about community, I think, okay, who are the other people like me who are challenged the status quo and what do they need? What do I need? We build that into the, into what we do. Now, I think that can get extrapolated into other, other businesses other, if we talk about property or, or whether you're just talking about an organization. I think organizations should be very authentic with the problems they're trying to solve in the world, why they're in business, and have that be part front and center of their recruiting. I'm not hiring an account executive that's going to get paid 50 grand a year. I'm hiring somebody that's going to go out and help me solve this problem. And, and then you get people that are passionate about solving that problem with you. And then you get more people to come in that are passionate about solving that problem and you create a community. It's really interesting. I, I was chatting to someone, one of the people I chatted to this week, and they, they said, you know, over the course of the last couple of years, everyone has made stump cases for what the office is for. And, you know, they've said it's for creativity, it's for collaboration. It's, you know, this guy said to me yesterday, he said, look, it's a big thing for us. It's about community. It's about connection. It's about, and we shouldn't underestimate those things. It feels, if you're trying to make the case for the office, just creativity sounds like it's got an upside to it. And community sounds like a soft skill. And he said, far from it, you know, actually it's got, a, it's got such a powerful benefit to it, even though it doesn't look like it's going to be measurable. 
Well, actually, I, I like the term soft skill. I, I use the term hardware and software in the communities that we build. The hardware is, okay, we've got a podcast studio. We've got 55 seats. We've got this many offices. We've got, here's the layout. Here's the design. That's all the hardware and the technology and all that stuff. But the software is, okay, well, how are we curating this community? Who are we? What community do we have? Okay, well, we know mindset-wise we're challenging the status quo, but are there sectors? You know, I said earlier we're not sector-specific, but there are certain communities. If you go to Shoreditch, if you go to Canary Wharf, I'm talking about London here for a moment, there are certain communities in those areas that those mindsets exist specifically in a sector. So, what do those people need, though? If they're going from seed to Series A, there's upskilling they need in terms of leadership. There's talent. They need access to talent. They need access to capital. My job, is, if, if we do it right, is to bring all of these stakeholders together and all of these this software is what I call it together and allow them to connect with each other, enable them to connect with each other. Business offerings, office offerings, commercial real estate offerings that don't offer that. Are they not going to struggle? You know, one of the things I've heard from people in commercial real estate is, look, you know, increasingly now offices have to be in good mixed districts where, you know, you've got retail, you've got restaurants because people want that range of stuff. They either want to go out and entertain with clients or they, they want to feel like there's more in the offering. So the idea that in the past you might have had just a big block of real estate somewhere unattractive and people made their way there, that increasingly will be left. It's sort of caught in the middle. It's unappealing because it's neither got the cost advantage of working from home nor the advantage of being in the midst of a thriving community. Is, is there going to be a challenge of people who are sort of stuck in the middle, business offering stuff stuck in the middle? I'll often refer to the middle as average as well. And I think that average is definitely not a place you want to be. And I think that because the office no longer has that monopoly on work and we can do it from anywhere, then why am I going to commute somewhere? Why am I, why am I going to go in and, and inconvenience myself? I've got to go in because it's a better experience uh, than being at home. It's better than going to my local cafe. It, it, I feel like I'm going to be more successful because I've gone in. And the answer to those things that I've just described is different for everybody. This is why as a business, as a, as a property owner, we need to think about who are we serving? Who is our customer and what problem are we solving for them? I'm trying not to be too prescriptive here, but that will help lead you down that path to figure out how you need to position yourself. And because, yeah, like you say, we don't have to be in the office. Like I say, I say we don't have to be in the office to be productive anymore. The thing I'd love, like with your expertise, I'd love if you could for you to do the stump pitch for us, actually. The, you know, what is the stump case for the office? What is the pitch for the office for, that, that really reminds us what is so special and what we lacked in the last two years? Well, my office friends are not going to like this answer. I think most companies should actually go remote first. As I said earlier, I've been remote first the past decade myself, and I haven't skipped a beat these last two years. Um, So my pitch for the office is to first dive into your culture, truly understand how an office as a tool in the platform of work is going to help your team succeed. And once you understand that, empower them with the choice of when to use that tool on a given day. Wow. I did not expect that answer. That's so fascinating. What, and the reason because you, you're convinced that people will see the benefit of the office, but it's, you know, it's, it's a bit like what a lot of people have done over the last two years. They've thought 
those who've been pragmatic have said, actually, we do need to be together a bit. And so you're saying, actually, to start from that perspective is really helpful. I, I think so. And, and it's going to be helpful for engaging your teams as well. And then, yes, people are people. We just want to be around other people. So we're going to find ways to do that. The office needs to be dynamic enough to enable people to come together and get what they need when they come in, but not have to be there. Deliver something that makes them want to come in and then step back and let them come in when they need to. So interesting. I saw, um, I think it was Dropbox talked about, they wanted to configure their offices going forwards, which were all about experiences, something that you could only do there. And what you've described along the way here is something adjacent to that. You've said actually like the the office has got something special to do and really know why that part of your Swiss army knife, know why you're using it because there's something special about that. And like you've said along the way here, communities, connections with other people as well. seems to be, Wow, it's, it's, a, it's a, re- I think a brilliant answer because I certainly hadn't expected it from you. That's how I do it. And, you know, it, maybe it doesn't work for everybody, but, uh, and, and that's okay too. But it, it, it works for me and, and I know it works for a lot of people. You've got this dual role. You're, you, you've got this offering. Uh, so you've actually got real customers coming through the door and you can hear from them. You also run this podcast that I, I mentioned I adore. What has been the sort of the extreme edge of what you've heard from some of these experts? Just really about where we're going next, to be honest. I think that's a great question. And if I think back to some of the podcasts that I've done, you might remember Bruce, Michelle Schneider from the, she's senior VP of global workplace services for Salesforce. One of the things that I thought was fascinating that she said, and it was just shocked me is that 85% of her workforce, they've been engaging them throughout the pandemic. How do they want to work going forward? 85% of them uh, don't want to come back into the office every day. 20% never want to come back in about 60 percent of them are going to, they want the office some. And so what she's doing is she's repurposing all of her offices to become like an events venue. And so where in the past, you go out, of, you leave the office and go to do an offsite somewhere. The HQ is becoming the, the offsite venue. So I thought that was, that was, wow. Okay. Very interesting. Very interesting. Wow. It's such a change, but I, I really hear that. I, I was chatting to someone from Lloyd's the other day and they said, look, you know, it's all about for us, you know, creating a pull of why they're in the office. And he said, look, office managers around the whole organization have said, look, we just need events, pizza, just reasons for people, you know, like almost sort of simple things, but that's so interesting. So she's reconfigured hers to be an event space first. So interesting. So gone are the little name plaques with your name on them over a desk, but more, this has got to feel very different to that home space you've got. It's all about making the office one of the tools, one of the most dynamic tools you can use, but not requiring you to be there. And to, to have the ability to tap into it when you need to, but feel taken care of when you come in, the word I like to use is plus, not versus. Going back to the, my first comment on here is, you know, it's not the office versus working from home. It's both. And having as many tools as you can is is the thing. What I've not called out since the very start is you don't sound British. Describe your origin story of how you made your way here. Well, so I'm, I'm from the U.S. originally. When I go home, they tell me I sound British and I say, trust me, I don't. <laughs> I think I've picked up a couple of inflections, um, probably learn how to articulate my words better these days. I'm from the South in Georgia, uh, but I've been in London now for seven years. Okay, love it. Give us, give us a shout out to your businesses, like you, you, the podcast. 
He's just a brilliant listener. There's going to be a, a link to that episode you mentioned, but also the podcast in general. And, and you know, the property offering, tell us more. Well, thank you. I think um, my company's called Bold. We're part of New Flex, our group. We have about 50 communities across the country, up and down the UK, and we'll be going into the continent next year. The podcast, we really put that together to help share best practice, to talk about space as a service, because we saw this big gap between supply and demand, and we wanted to help bridge that gap and share best practice. And, you know, as a result, it's been great. We've, we've met some amazing people, had some superstar, smart, intelligent people come on and share their experience. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad you, you're listening. Kelly, I have to say, you know, I, I, I always find the perspective of your guests from the sector so refreshing to me because, you know, what, what you realize is that while there's a lot of thought leaders out there and people the likes of you talking, actually the majority of organizations are still at the start of just beginning to wrestle with these things. They, you know, while you've been having two years of conversations preparing people, actually the organizations I chat to are doing the sort of the March 2020 discussions they're just getting going and so i think it's that's why this is such a valuable resource because i sit there listening thinking wow what's going to come next and for me you're helping sort of not only reveal what happens but you know create the thinking that's going to shape that so an incredible resource an incredible resource you know long long term listener yeah you know we've we're building a tribe though you probably see dave cairns on on linkedin he speaks way better than I do. Um, there's quite a few people that are starting to join this, this conversation. Uh, and funny enough, uh, the brokers in the industry sounded so self-serving at the beginning of this pandemic, but some of them are coming on board with this line of thinking now. Really appreciate uh, the conversation today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you to Caleb. Like I say, I've put all the links in the show notes and I think you're going to love checking those things out. Truly grateful for the the time that we had and the discussion we had. So uh, thank you to Caleb. And do, by all means, subscribe to this podcast newsletter if you enjoyed this. We'd love to see you there. And we're debating these themes on a, on a weekly basis. So thanks for listening. See you next time. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode, and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.